Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Sapiniak. Hey, Kit. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Remember, you can catch us here every week on your favorite Catholic radio station, but if you miss an episode, make sure to catch our podcast. You can find that by going to mncatholic.org slash podcast or search for The Bridge Builder in your favorite podcast app. We have almost more than 100 episodes, so make sure to get caught up and hit subscribe so you never miss any of our great conversations. In today's episode, we have a great discussion coming up about G.K. Chesterton, the early 20th century prophet and social commentator, and what he might say about the American situation today. In our mailbag segment, we're talking about budgets. Whether it's your family budget or the federal budget, priorities must be set so you don't overspend. But who gets to set those priorities in our state budget? And of course, we want to leave you with some practical tips on how you can start to put your faith into action. In our bricklayer segment, we're talking about democracy at a distance. We have tips on how you can participate in the lawmaking process, even though the Capitol is closed to visitors. And listeners, if you ever have an idea for a bricklayer, maybe you are doing something out in your community. Let us know what you're doing. How might others start to put their faith into action? Or maybe you have a question about faith and politics. Let us know. Send an email to show at mncatholic.org. We're now joined on the line by Dale Alquist. Dale is president of the Society of G.K. Chesterton and the Chesterton Schools Network and co-founder of Chesterton Academy in the Twin Cities. Dale is one of the most respected Chesterton scholars in the world and publisher of the Society's flagship publication, Gilbert. Dale is also the creator and host of the popular EWTN series, The Apostle of Common Sense, and he is the author of three books on Chesterton. Dale Alquist, welcome to The Bridge Builder. Jason, a great pleasure to be with you. God bless you. Uh, Chesterton is one of the most prescient and important thinkers of our age and has a lot to say to us today. He wrote a book called What I Saw in America, but if he returned to the United States, what, what might he say today about what's going on here in our politics and in our political culture? Well, Chesterton really did have a prophetic sense of, of what was going on in his society a hundred years ago. And it's, you know, he once said about another writer, he saw what we see, but he saw it before it happened. He could see that there was going to be an attack on the family, that uh, it would come through a multiple barrage of attack on marriage and divorce. He said the obvious effect of frivolous divorce is going to be frivolous marriage, and we have seen frivolous forms of marriage uh, come upon us. He, uh, he saw that uh, contraception would lead to abortion and would lead to infanticide. He predicted that. Um, he said that there would be uh, probably an attack on, on the old and uh, a rise of, uh, of euthanasia. He said, you know, we will we'll start uh, killing people because they're a nuisance to themselves, but then we'll kill them because they're a nuisance to us. Uh, and he also, uh, he also really saw that the major, one of the major problems, and maybe even the major problem affecting our modern society is the, the public takeover of education and how uh, state education doesn't teach children anything. Uh, because if you can't teach the truth, you really aren't teaching anything at all. Uh, and he says it, it keeps changing its mind what it even is supposed to teach. Uh, his great line, uh, uh, the children are subjected to educational 
theories that are younger than they are. <laughs> so uh, he, he really had a, an insight into uh, how parents have lost control of what is being taught to their children. I think the other uh, another great insight he had was in, into uh, into journalism. Journalism was as much of a problem in his day as it is in our day, but he he had an inside view being a journalist himself, and he said we uh, we don't have a censorship of the press. We have a censorship by the press. That sounds like today. It does. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about forming our conscience when it comes to faithful citizenship or Catholic participation in political life. And one of the maybe underexplored things is the way in which Chesterton was able to see and see with the light of faith and the light of Christ, because he certainly was well-read himself. Dale, t- can you say a little bit about how Chesterton formed his own conscience, how he formed his Catholic imagination? What were his sources? What did he go to? Certainly the Catholic faith, but in particular, how did he come to have that insight? What were his? Uh, how did he form his own mental architecture? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, Chesterton had uh, a really gifted mind. In in many ways, you could compare him to a Bach or a Mozart in in his uh, just incredible. Uh, creativity and his ability to uh, to grasp huge ideas. Um, he's, he's a Thomas Aquinas in that way. But because he had this love of truth, he was always on a pursuit for it. And as a Catholic convert, he made the truth his goal. And that's why it, it, when he was first exposed to uh, the great ideas, he hungrily ate them. And his whole conversion was a long and deliberate process of uh, seeking the truth and recognizing it. So he was exposed as a young man to great literature. That probably in his youth formed him better than anything else because he didn't have a religious upbringing at all. But but the great ideas and the great themes of great literature going back to the classics, you know, he he represents the the reason for having a classical education, even though he claimed he wasn't a very good uh, student, and you know he's always dreaming of other things uh, because of his creative mind. And his parents told his his parents were told by the headmaster of a you know reputable school that he went to in London, don't bother sending him to the university because it's hopeless to try to teach him anything. Uh, but in the meantime, he's reading Shakespeare and. Uh, you know, Charles Dickens and, you know, Plato and Aristotle. So he, he was just really studying, uh, uh, self-educated in a way, uh, absorbing great, great books. And then he starts getting exposed to religious ideas. And for him, Jason, it was reading the attacks on Christianity that helped make him become a Christian. He said that the attacks were so bad and agnosticism and atheism were so empty and futile and contradictory, that that helped point him towards the truth of Christianity. Chesterton was a big proponent of democracy, both political democracy, but also uh, economic democracy, at least in the sense of a society of widely distributed property. How did his Catholic faith lead him to become a proponent of democracy, and what did he mean by that, and how is that relevant for us today? Sure. You know, he, he believes in democracy because, you know, I call him the apostle of common sense. He believes in common sense, that people really do have a sense of, of what's right and what's good, but it, always, it starts at the local level. It starts with the family. The parents know what's right for their children. 
A neighborhood knows what's right for its neighborhood. It starts at a local level. If people are able to control the things that affect them most directly, they will make good decisions because they'll make them on behalf of those that they that they love around them immediately. And when you have decisions made by a far-off centralized authority, they're not going to take into account the most important things to people. And so the more remote a government is, the less it's going to respect the rights of the common man and, most importantly, the rights of the family. But the same holds true of commerce, that uh, local commerce is going to be more sensitive to the needs of a local population, and it's going to be created by the local population. You know, when you buy from your neighbor, you're keeping your money in your community and controlling the things that you make and the things that you that you purchase, and it's good for everybody. And, and so he, he recognizes that small ownership gives people more autonomy, but if they are all employees of a large corporation that is somewhere remote, once again, they, they lose their, their self-control and, their, and their, their self-government and their autonomy. So he recognized those, those basic truths about democracy, but they were really crystallized for him by uh, one of the papal encyclicals uh, in the late 19th century by Pope Leo XIII, Rerum Novarum, where he recognized that you know, unbridled capitalism, industrial capitalism, it reduced people to to wage slaves, and he, you know the, the Pope said it's very, very little different from from slavery, and uh, and he said that the wrong solution to this disparity that's been created is socialism, but that's the solution that everyone was naturally uh, leaning towards, and he said the right solution is that more workers should become owners, and people should have a stake in what it is they they do. And that's the, the idea that gra- uh, really caught Chesterton and his colleagues, widespread ownership and widespread autonomy and people in control of the things that affect them most directly. We're speaking with Dale Alquist. Dale is president of the Society of G.K. Chesterton, the author of three books on Chesterton, including The Apostle of Common Sense and the creator of the EWTN television program by the same name. Dale, let's dive in a little bit more on this idea of a society of widely distributed property or economic democracy. Uh, today, I think many uh, conservative, you know, self-styled conservatives uh, perhaps some of our listeners are starting to recognize that though they understood that big government might be a problem, they're also recognizing that big business is a problem, whether it's in the form of big corporate media, um, the big tech companies. We are living in a sort of post-political age in which the technocracy seems to have the upper hand. Chesterton saw all this coming 100 years ago when he talked about Hudge and Gudge. How might he help us today take on some of these things? People don't know what to do. They feel overwhelmed. They feel like their moral agency and their autonomy is being taken away from them. What advice might Chesterton have for us today? Uh, perhaps he had, had some advice for people of his time, but what would he say to us today about some of these things, Steve? Well, you know, with, with Hudge and Gudge, he, he realized that um, uh, Hudge, by the way, is uh, big government and Gudge is big business. Uh, and uh he calls them Hudge and Gudge because they're the ones who are taking away the rights of, of Jones, the common man, you know, who just wants to raise his family and have a be a local hero. <laughs> and so, the helplessness that Jones feels is that he can't. Uh, he's just not in control of his own life. His decisions are being made for him by the remote commercial authority or the the, the remote state authority. And he says it, it starts by people trying to become independent, doing things. For themselves, rather than having them 
done for them by, by others. And he says it starts with a tendency against a tendency. If we just keep doing the same thing over and over again, we're going to continue to lose control of our lives. There's a real practical uh, thing that comes to mind right now for us today. If we use, I'm not going to say the name of, of the company, but if I did, I, I would say it was Amazon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hypothetically speaking. Yeah, hypothetically. If we, if, we, if we buy everything from a river in South America, Jason. Yes. Um, or or for a, from an ancient pagan female warrior. From a warehouse in Shakopee. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if we buy everything from that, we are, we are uh, feeding the beast. We are just completely feed the beast. We're not, the, the money is, is not staying locally. It's not helping our neighbor. And we are losing our choices that, are, of course, are what we're buying, too. But we were watching all the small, privately owned uh, businesses and shops go out of business just because we're trying to save 38 cents on a, on a roll of toilet paper. And uh, it's, it's a, a, a way of you know, we have to kind of self-tax ourselves and shop not just for uh, the immediate uh, impact on our pocketbook, but what's, where, our, where our dollar is going to do the most good. It's actually a moral decision how we, uh, how we spend our money. And uh, if, if we give all our money to the same giant commercial enterprise, we really are just giving it to the Grand Soviet Distribution Center is what we're doing. Indeed. Chesterton seems so relevant uh, for our times. Uh, what, where have you, are in your many travels and discussions with people, how do you see, tell us a little bit about the, th- the things that you're seeing on the ground and whether it's uh, in your far-flung travels to some parts of the globe or he- here locally in Minnesota, how are people rediscovering Chesterton and what is leading them today to reconsider this great thinker? Well, you know, I, I've had some some great experiences. I really admit, but but you know, my my traveling kind of got ground to a halt back in March. I, I don't know. I just don't go anywhere anywhere. But <laughs> but, uh, but I will say that a couple of years ago, I had a great privilege of traveling to Croatia to give some talks on Chesterton, where, and where they had hosted a conference on Chesterton. These are these are Croatians. They they read Chesterton uh, either in translation or they're all very strong English speakers. They. They read it, but as their second language, they're they're reading uh, these books by Chesterton, and there was a huge enthusiasm among twenty and thirty year olds who see that where the twentieth century went wrong, because here was a country that got crushed by uh, uh, totalitarianism, and they won their independence back. They're only twenty five years old, the country, and they they have this. You know, glorious feeling of well, now we're we kind of can control ourselves again, and Chesterton epitomized and put into words what they what they were feeling based on one of his, for instance, a uh, a great novel he wrote called The Napoleon of Notting Hill, which is about a, a suburb that declares independence from the rest of the country of England because they don't want their streets they they don't want a big public highway going right through their their local streets. And to protect their streets, they declare independence. You know that that book was read by the Irish revolutionaries who who started their uh, their war for Irish independence. You know, based on ins- the inspiration that Chesterton gave them. But the uh, the Croatians were saying to me, I, I go, how did you start liking Chesterton so much? He had no connection with Croatia, and they said, well, because we are we are Notting Hill, and we don't want our street to be taken. 
<laughs> Outstanding. Yeah. I love it. That's perfect, Dale. That was wonderful. Dale, where do you tell people, you know, for our listeners who haven't read any Chesterton, perhaps don't know where to begin in the massive amounts of uh, uh, writing that he put out, where do you tell people to begin with, uh, besides your books, of course, and you can certainly say that, but if, if you're diving into Chesterton's, uh, his own works, where do you tell people to begin? So when you said besides your books, Jason, and, I, and then you said <laughs> uh, you could certainly say that, I, I will say that the best, the best place to re, for just a pure introduction to Chesterton are the two introductory books I, I wrote, which uh, one's The Apostle of Common Sense, and the other one is Common Sense 101 Lessons from Chesterton. Both fine books. I've read them. They're outstanding. And they can get those at Chesterton.org. Don't don't get them at that uh, at that um, river in South America. That's right. Yeah, That's exactly. That's to get them. But the other thing is, uh, we just, uh, even as we're speaking here, at the printer is uh, a new book that we've just written. I can't say we've written. We've translated. We've translated Chesterton's great book, Orthodoxy, his essential book, Orthodoxy. We've translated it into American, an American translation of Orthodoxy. Is this the USA Today 8th grade version? No, it's actually not. It's just simply, it, we take out all the references to things that an American reader in the 21st century doesn't have any clue what they're talking about. Rather than having a footnote explaining what they are, they're just gone, Jason. They're not there anymore. No no uh, obscure references to English controversialists in the early 20th century. And Joanna Southcote and John Gilpin, who you know just don't resonate with people who are reading today. Indeed. Uh, and, so, and so it just it smooths the text out, and there's a few words you have to change that just don't, don't work with an American reader. So rather than explaining it in a footnote, we just change the word. And so it's, it's edited, and it's a, it's a much smoother read. So... Orthodox, you can also order that from Chesterton.org, because that book's not available anywhere else except at Chesterton.org. Excellent. I want to turn a little bit in our remaining few minutes, Dale, to education. You talked about uh, Chesterton's critique of government schooling. You've not been content to write about it or talk about it. You're doing something about it. You founded Chesterton Academy and the Chesterton Schools Network. Tell us a little bit about what's going on with the Chesterton Schools Network and how it's making a difference in education. Yeah, well, we started Chesterton Academy in the Twin Cities uh, just over 12 years ago, and uh, it's a classical Catholic school with a, a really excellent integrated curriculum where the students uh, get are taught four years of philosophy along with four years of theology, so they really know the combination of faith and reason. They know how to put together a logical argument and express themselves. We also uh, emphasize the arts, so they're required to do plays, uh, theater, um, graphic arts, studio arts, and, and choir and music, uh, along with, you know, math and science and, and literature. And so they really, are, their whole brains are developed. And then there's daily mass to go with it, so uh, body, mind, and soul. But uh, our model has been picked up by people all around the country. There's now 30 Chesterton Academies around the country using our same model, and some in Canada and uh, one in Italy, and, and we just found out there's, they're going to get one started in Iraq. Iraq, Jason. And so uh, it's, it's, it's a grassroots way of reclaiming uh, classical Catholic education, and, and parents are excited because it's something that they can, a school they can put together themselves using our model, and uh, they've had a tremendous impact already. Chesterton Academy of the Chaldeans. I love it. <laughs> yeah. From from where Abraham sprang, 
we now have Chesterton Academy. This is uh, a great and glorious thing. Congratulations. That's Thank you. that's Can't wonderful make to hear. Up. Yeah. <laughs> now, you were appointed by President Trump to I think it's called the National Education Standards Board. Did I get that right? No, you did. It's the National Board of Education Sciences. Education Sciences. So what is that and uh, what do you hope to accomplish in that uh, position with the federal government? Yeah, that was an unexpected honor. Uh, the president was filling some vacancies, uh, you know, before the end of his term, and uh, I got a call from the White House just out of the blue offering this position to me, and it's a board that oversees really all the statistical data of American education, so we'll, we'll get a firsthand view of how, the, how our public schools are performing, and uh, and then it's a voting by that makes recommendations. So I, I will be able to cause, I think, I hope a little trouble while I'm there. And it's a it's a four-year term, and we meet twice a year, and I have access to a lot of information, and hopefully affect some of the policies that uh, that affect uh, our public schools. I'll tell you, uh, they are a mess. Indeed, I think uh, that we we see the evidence all around us. It hardly needs a study to uh, to let us know that that's fantastic. One more question, Dale. Um, you know, just in terms of what we're seeing in the streets and and in our culture today, it, is that you know people are troubled by the rioting and the injustice and the conflict that we see in the streets. Um, some people are naturally inclined to a type of reaction or conservatism as a response to some of that. But I think Chesterton might offer us something different in the sense that he pushed back not just on the left, but also on a conservatism that was somewhat denuded and merely reactive. And he might have a better sense that you need to correct the underlying injustices if you want to be able to, to um, push back on socialism and Marxism and these sorts of trends. How might he diagnose the, the failures of conservatism and the need to address the underlying issues of justice that breed some of the conflict in our streets today. Sure. I mean, you know, his classic line about the conservatives and the liberals, he says the, uh, the the liberals go on making the same mistakes and the conservatives prevent the mistakes from being corrected. And uh, that, you know, continues to be true. Uh, but the, his, he, he, just, he describes it, you know, cause for conservatives think that if you just leave something alone, it'll be fine. Whereas if you want a white post, for instance, you have to keep painting it white. Otherwise, you're, you're going to have a gray post. And so there, there's, a, there's a constant need to, to reform and remake the things that are falling apart. And we don't have a good justice system because we don't have a good sense of justice. We've, we've lost our moral bearings. Uh, Chesterton says we, we don't argue about Men don't argue about what they consider evil. They, con- they argue about which evils they consider excusable. Oh, indeed. And, and so, uh, you know, Chester points us to really an eternal uh, reference point. And if we don't have that, we, we will really flounder, because uh, if the standards keep changing, you can't measure anything with, with changing standards. The analogy of the painting, the pole continually painting it white is excellent in terms of reform requires that we first admit the existence of a form to which we can conform. Amen. That's GK. <laughs> That's GK right there. <laughs> there it is. Fantastic. Well, Dale Alquist, congratulations on your ongoing work of being a great uh, popularizer and evangelizer of the good work of GK Chesterton, your good work with the Chesterton Schools Network, and now your post in the federal government working on education issues. Thanks for joining us on the Bridge Builder program today. Listeners, check out more of Dale's good work and their publications about Chesterton at chesterton.org. Again, that's chesterton.org. 
And we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to jump into our mailbag to hear what comments and questions you've been sending our way. Kit, what's in this week's mailbag? Yeah, so this week the Minnesota legislature has gaveled into session, or maybe we should say they've started to zoom into session. This year the lawmakers will need to be creating a budget. So there's lots of talk about how money should be spent and how money should be saved, especially given the economic side effects of the pandemic. So one of our listeners wants to know, who sets the priorities when it comes to spending and saving? Well, budgets are moral documents, just like a family budget where we prioritize certain needs and we uh, put aside certain uh, wants uh, until we have the resources to uh, go out and purchase those. The state budget's the same way. We have a state uh, constitutionally mandated uh, balanced budget, so every uh, biennium, that's every two years, uh, in the odd year, which is this one, 2021, the legislature and the governor have to come up with a state budget. And so how that works is that there's a forecast that's put out periodically by the uh, agency Minnesota Management and Budget. It gives lawmakers a sense of how much money they expect to come in based on the economic forecasts. And those forecasts then are used to, to as a baseline for the budgeting process and letting them know how much money they have. Then the governor will present a budget to the legislature, and uh, that will be a proposal, and that will be a starting point for the ongoing discussions and negotiations between the legislature and the governor. So in a in a legislature where we have a divided legislature, that is Republicans control one house, uh, the Senate and Democrats control the other, and then of course our governor Tim Walz is a Democrat, uh, those are, conversations are more challenging in the sense that they require compromise, and oftentimes we go into special session when we have divided government. But it, it will be the case that this year uh, legislatures will have to create a balanced budget like they do every biennium. And uh, we had some good news in the sense that there was a surplus for the remainder of this biennium, which ends on June 30th. But we will be facing about a $1.3 billion deficit, most likely, going into the next budget. So the question will be, how do we raise that revenue? What things do we cut? Um, where can there be reforms, program delivery services reform? So those are the, are the questions that will confront legislators. We believe that uh, a circle of protection should be put around those programs that are uh, helping the most uh, vulnerable, and we shouldn't be balancing the budget on the backs of the poor and the vulnerable workers, uh, small businesses, especially during these times. So the state budget is consumed mostly by education and human services. So those are the places that people often want to look to for cuts. But those are the ones that are the most vital to uh, everyday Minnesotans in terms of helping them uh, either have a safety net in case they fall in hard times or have the educational resources they need to succeed. Thanks, Jason. And we always want to close out the Bridge Builder show with practical ways that people can start building that bridge between faith and politics. What tips do you have in this week's Bricklayer segment? Well, the Capitol right now is closed to visitors. Uh, there is some talk that there will be some hearings and uh, events that will be accessible to the public as they should be. And this is a big concern of ours to make sure that democracy is participatory, that citizens have a say, that there are forums, fora and venues for their participation. So we'll be monitoring those things and advocating for more of that. If you can go to Walmart or Target, there should be people allowed in the Capitol to observe the legislative process firsthand. But a lot of it will be done via Zoom or online. Um, you can still stay connected even in that dynamic. 
Both the Senate and the House post live streams of meetings and hearings on the state legislature's website, on their Facebook pages, and the YouTube channels. We have compiled easy access links to view these live streams on our website, mncatholic.org. Just go to mncatholic.org and click on Democracy at a Distance under the Resources tab. Again, that's Democracy at a Distance under the Resource tab, and you can stay connected with what's going on at our state capitol. That's all the time we have for today. For everyone listening on our podcast app, make sure to follow or subscribe so that you always know when a new episode comes out. Then leave us a five-star rating if you choose and click share so that more Catholics can begin to build a bridge between faith and public life. Let us know what you thought of today's episode. Leave us a comment on the podcast episode or connect with us on social media. Send us your ideas for the Bricklayer segment. How might Catholics start to build a bridge between faith and public life? And make sure to let us know what questions you have. Tune in for the mailbag segment each week to see if we uh, address your question that you've sent us. Again, you can send those to us at show at mncatholic.org. Remember to catch up on past episodes on our website, mncatholic.org slash podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, and for Kids of Peniac of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks for listening, and have a blessed Christmas season.